My name is Alan, and I am an alcoholic. And I... Hello. And I want to congratulate the celebrants. It's an exciting thing to be at an anniversary. And I'm very grateful to Sal for asking me to speak. She's been a wonderful woman to sponsor. I've enjoyed it immensely. Especially the heartache and the heartburn. They came together most of the time. <laughs> I'm up here because I have the same damn disease that Carolyn does. And Carolyn and I have everything in common. It's a mental disease, it's a physical disease, and it's a spiritual disease. I was sort of a strange kid when I was born. I always had a sense of something missing, not anatomically, but as if I were a pie. And there was a piece of that pie that was missing. And I was always looking for something to fill up that piece of pie. I knew some things very early, probably when I got out of the playpen. One of the things I knew is that I was never going to experience pain and that I was going to get anything I wanted because I had learned to manipulate people very quickly. I learned I could turn any act I wanted to into a three-act drama with myself as the hero, and I walked away with the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow I had invented. That's the kind of a creep I was. <laughs> at my four-year-old birthday party, they brought in the cake, and I didn't like the color of the icing. I was extraordinarily sensitive. And so I threw the first of 10,963 temper tantrums, during which I poured a pitcher of ice water over my mother's head. I was not told that I was wrong. I was told that I was very cute. And so I spent the next 43 years being very cute and very clever and very drunk. I had my first drink that I can recall and my first drink simultaneously when I graduated from grammar school. I was dressed like little Lord Fauntleroy. I had white flannels and a polka dot bow tie and little dark rim glasses. I was very cute. <laughs> Insufferably cute. I have an older brother who is the all-American boy, and he's 14 years older than I am, and I hated his guts with a passion because I was the all-American sissy while he was the all-American boy. In any case, I went to the Italian section of the town in which I was born to my graduation party with my bow tie, and I met Guinea Red. <laughs> and I put that inside, and it filled up the piece of pie that was missing, and I loved it, and I loved every drink I ever took. I was born a lush, I'm convinced. In any case, I got very sick on that wonderful homemade Italian wine. And on the way home, I vomited all over the pretty white flannels, and I wet them. That was the beginning of a long series of wet pants that goes <laughs> with my kind of alcoholism. I was not punished because I had got drunk or because I had got sick all over my clothes. I was punished because I went to the wrong side of town. My parents told me I had to remember who I was. Didn't I realize that I was a member of the Lydig family? And they said these things with organ-like tones that I was supposed to respond to in some sort of angelic way. And we had some slogans in my home. You don't stay out too late, you don't drink too much, and you keep your pants buttoned. So when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I kept looking for the button part of the slogans. When I was in high school, I was not acceptable to the local high school fraternities, and I wanted to join them. I wanted to look in, because my fantasy life always had me in the center of everything. 
And since I couldn't get into a fraternity, I found six creeps just like myself and started my own fraternity. <laughs> they elected me president, naturally. I knew exactly how to manipulate the election. I kept getting elected president. I once was elected president in the mental institution <laughs> behind locked wards where they keep violently insane people. I got there too because another power had come into my life by then. When I got out of high school, I went into the army and I was secretary to a general. That was a perfect job for a snot-nosed 18-year-old brat that I was. And I had an arm full of stripes and a wonderful sense of myself and a great commitment to my own arrogance. When I was stationed in Carl Gables, Florida, and did all of my overseas duty on the island of Bermuda, where there was a great deal of danger, <coughs> I was caught out of uniform by my first sergeant, and the first sergeant proceeded immediately to courts-martial me. He did something wrong. He got in my way. I was courts-martialed, and I had to spend three days suffering company punishment. He should have known with whom he was trafficking. I knew who I was. He didn't. And it's important for me to tell you what I did to him, because it expresses to you very clearly what the disease that Carolyn and I have is all about. I had no concern for another human being. Talk about being incapable of forming a true partnership. I was incapable of relating, much less forming. I had access to the list of the names of the men who were to be sent overseas. And so I sent a good, decent human being overseas. And I loved it. I walked around the base feeling like king shit. That's the kind of attitude. My alcoholism is all about. After I came out of the army, I went to college, and I did very well. My head started to explode, and I enjoyed college very much. I joined a fraternity, and they accepted me. You didn't have to be a jock. You didn't have to lift weights. All you had to do was drink, and drink I loved to do. I drank all of the time. It never occurred to me not to drink. When I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I met some of you good people who talked about the morning drink and you lowered your eyelids, I could not understand this lowering of the eyelids business. I drank when I wanted to. It didn't depend on anybody else. I made the rules for me. I'd already got rid of God. I'd read enough books to know that God did not exist. He was either the opiate of the masses or some sort of such thing that people who were called assholes did in buildings that had crosses on top. So I got rid of that. And there was no power greater than myself. And I loved what alcohol did to enhance that power. And so I drank constantly. After college, I went to graduate school, and then I became a college professor. And I loved it. I was the youngest professor on the campus, and I had every ability to manipulate the students exactly the way I wanted them to do. You see, if you didn't do what I wanted you to do, I flunked you. So it was kind of nice. It was one of those real honest relationships that human beings, you do it my way because of my sensitivity or I'll get you. I like that. These were the facts of my life. These are the facts of my experience. This is what I was like. That went on for a couple of years, and the president of the college called me in, and he said, you are fired. You are fired because you are a drunkard, and you are fired because you are sleeping with the members of the men's swimming team. That was one of the most important days of my life, because that man drove me into both closets I was to inhabit for the next 20 years. 
He knew something about me that I wanted no one to know. And so the denial process that's built into this disease in me became affirmed by the fact of my having got fired. No one was to know that I drank too much, and no one was ever to know that I was gay. And so immediately in responding to my being gay, I got married. And that was an outrageous thing to do, but it was a self-serving thing to do. You see, nothing was ever outrageous if it served my purposes. Nothing was ever anything if it served my purposes. My self-serving, my egocentricity was necessary because it was necessary to the propitiation of my disease. My disease loved this kind of thing. And I drank constantly. After I got kicked out of college teaching, I went into the publishing business and I did phenomenally well. I made a lot of money and I started a life that's best described in F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. I partied all of the time and so did my lovely wife and so did my lovely daughter who was soon born. And I led a double life. I was drunk most of the time, but I could manage. You know what I'm talking about. You may smell, you may trip, but these are accidents of the road. You managed to compensate for them very quickly, and so did I. It was a wild, wild, crazy life. I had no spiritual life at all. The only things I believed in were the facts of money, were the facts of my power over people, and an enormous sexual appetite. That was the important dimension of my life. And I continued this way for some years, making a lot of money. And one anecdote that I think you will find funny, I was asked to address the American Library Association one day down in Florida, the Fontainebleau Hotel, in all of its elegance. And I was dressed in a very beautiful, pale beige suit. And I was addressing a large company of librarians about the significance of some kind of literature or something. I was always running off at the mouth about that stuff. And I had to urinate, and so I did while I was speaking. And there was this large body of water growing behind me so that everyone sitting on the stage with me could watch the flood as it developed. And I finished my address and my trousers were appropriately stained and I spent the rest of the day walking among them, drying out, kind of. Life gets worse when you hang on to the facts of money, power, and sex that are resident in egocentricity, and it got worse, and it got worse fast. You humiliate, you destroy other people's lives because you are indifferent to them because of the strength of the needs and drives you've got all by yourself, and you drink, and you drink, and you drink. I made several suicide attempts in most grandiose fashion, one in particular, I was dressed in very good dark charcoal gray flannels and went to the local cemetery and drank a half a quart of Ballantine scotch and slit my wrists. Prior to this, I had written one of my usual suicide letters to my daughter. And I said to my daughter that I was leaving her as her heritage, the English language. You would have thought that I'd created the damn thing <laughs> single-handedly. And I left a note to my loving wife telling her to be sure to have the gold taken out of my teeth. It was very valuable. That's how I felt about people who loved me. This went on for quite some time. Eventually, I began to be totally unemployable. And I would become a consultant when I was unemployable. That meant I would go to various large corporations and they would pay me lots of money. 
And the reason they liked me was because I had a certain set of principles. And the principles were that me and vodka were better than you and anything else. And I was one of those consultants who came in and they told you which employees they wanted to fire. And I invented solid management theories as to why these men and women should be fired from their jobs. I seem to like to get people kicked out of things because it always made me feel as if I, the runt of the litter, had extraordinary powers. This goes on for years. Now, mind you, the kind of home life I was having. Gardening was my hobby for one particular reason. I could hide the bottles in the garden. My nightlife was interesting. I would leave the office, meet a man, go and have a sexual relationship with a man and go home and play daddy and husband. That kind of duplicity was natural to me and my alcoholism, I thrived on it. And this goes on until friends who lived in Westchester invited me to go sailing. And I came up, and I, I had been living in the famous George Washington Hotel on the east side of New York. A very dear friend of mine has just given me a photograph of the George Washington Hotel today. And it's an interesting photograph because it looks as if the hotel is about to decay right in front of you. That's how I looked, because at this point, I had become a solid, bona fide wino. I had met up with an unbeatable pair. Ernesto and Julio Gallo. <laughs> I ran with those two cats as hard as they'd let me run. And it was great because I could panhandle some of the time and keep an outfit to panhandle in and get enough money or get double locked out of the hotel and sleep in the streets. What was the matter? I was free. I was a free spirit. I was psychedelic to the extent that I could take drugs along with the cheap wine and hallucinate. If I mixed booze and pills, people had halos around their heads. And I knew how important I was. They'd be writing a musical about me soon. And that kind of crap. In any case, I went sailing after having had the usual breakfast of champions, which is our vodka and orange juice. And I dove off the sailboat and I drowned. I did not die. I drowned. <laughs> They took me to the New Rochelle Hospital in a state of shock. I went through alcoholic convulsions. I then began experiencing delirium treatments. These are all part of the disease that Carolyn and I have. This is the mental, physical, and spiritual stuff that is of the nature of my egocentricity, that is my alcoholism. It's not booze. It's my egocentricity that my disease, my rampant attention that I paid to my every whiff and my every whim. And when I finally came out of the DTs, and I since learned later that the doctor couldn't do anything more for me, it was a matter of touch and go. But there was a power working that I didn't recognize. When it came time to get out of the hospital, I said to this wonderful man, because my friends had called Alcoholics Anonymous, they knew, they took my inventory. And Alcoholics Anonymous sent one of its venerable antiques to 12-step me, Cookie. He's 160 years old and has been sober 120 years old. And he came to see me every day, and he kept bringing people with him, and they kept telling me about... I was writing about my favorite subject. I had a perfectly marvelous time casting up all of the shit I'd perpetrated. And then I went and I admitted the nature of these wrongs to God and to someone else. I wasn't calling God God then. I hadn't come that far. I called the power HP for a long time because I had a deep 
inveterate hatred of organized religion almost all of my life, and particularly as a gay man. I did not wish to be burned in order to ignite... <laughs> Nobody wanted sweetheart. And so they said, I said to Cookie, what will I do? He said, well, we'll take you to Graymore, the home for homeless men. I did not like the sound of those words. People were not accustomed to speaking to me in such language. But in any case, I went to Graymore, the home for homeless men. And I was very cute to behold then. I was bright yellow. The jaundice was still with me from my cirrhotic liver. And I was a loon beyond all loons. I could not sit still. I could not stop shaking. And when I started to talk, you could not stop me. I was a great shape to look at. And when I got to Graymore, they did not ask me if I wanted to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. They dumped me. So I got dumped in your midst, and you haven't got the guts to throw me out because I won't let you. When I was there a short time, they said they were going to send me to a rehabilitation center, and I said, well, I would think it over. <laughs> Notice the arrogance. Notice I was going to think it over. Just where in hell was I going to go? But in any case, they sent me to a rehabilitation center that was made and specializes in spoiled brats. And when I got there, there wasn't any booze. And I was told that that man over there was my sponsor, and I'd best learn to breathe according to the rhythm of his voice. I liked none of this. None of it at all. But in a short space of time, I was told that I was powerless over alcohol. And I began to reflect upon my circumstances. My circumstances had showed me the degree to which my life was unmanageable. I had got a gift. And the gift that I'd got was the ability to see a fact for the first time in my life. A fact not shrouded in my own insidious fantasies, but a clear fact. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's the basis of my life today. That's the first time that a fact came into my life, not through the strainer of my own egocentricity. And then I started to go to meetings outside the rehab, and I met people who were sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, and they had something that I thought was fantastic. They did not even want to drink. There was a radiance about them that I wanted. In a short space of time, I was told, you're coming to believe, aren't you? And yes, I came to believe. I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And that belief was sufficient for me to run with it. And I made a decision to run with it. And I've been running with it ever since. And it has run me right down here to Mamaroneck. And I found out what you do after you make that decision. You sit down and you write your fourth step, is what I did. Because this is a program of recovery. Here is a spirit that's beginning to believe. Here is a man in whom facts are going to make all of the difference because he is believing in a power outside himself. And he can experience that power every time he walks into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the continual refurbishing of that power is what gives my life the meaning that it's got today. And so I began to recover the degree to which I did what I was told. I did not understand this stuff. I had no idea why I had to do all these things. I wasn't going to drink, I said. Uh, they didn't believe me, and they were right. 
And so I continued writing this inventory of mine and put down much of what I've told you. But I wrote 108 pages. And do you know why? Because the same disease that Carolyn and I have got, that same sickness of mind, body, and spirit, is so egocentric, which wounded me deeply, that I needed in my most self-pitying moments. And I practice these principles in all of my affairs. And there's a good reason for me to do that. It's an easy thing for me to do today. My affairs have changed. And I'm not talking about my sexual liaisons. I'm talking about my affairs. I don't go where I don't belong. I don't do what I don't do. I associate with people who want to stay sober. I associate with people like you. Thank you, and God bless you.